Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. The Crossing Church exists to see every person restored to God and to the life He created them to live. And we want to walk through this journey with you. If you need help, prayer of any kind, or if you give your life to the Lord today, send us an email at church at the crossing.cc. We would love to hear from you so a member from our care team will reach out to see how we can walk through life with you. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Enjoy the message. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. I am not even, I'm not, I'm like so flustered. I opened my iPad just now and realized that, okay, I mean, this is just full transparency. I like made edits on my message from the first service, but I deleted it from my iPad. And then I went to open it in video announcements and I was like, I never re-uploaded it. So, um, so I have it on my phone. So my phone's up here, but you know what? We're just going to trust the Holy Spirit to, to lead us into what we need to know. <laughs> it's like every preacher's worst nightmare is like you open your electronics and it's not, it's not there. But the Holy Spirit's always there, right? Praise the Lord for that. So, <laughs> so um, before we get in today's uh, message, I'm just so excited to be here with you guys. It is the first week in our Summer at the Crossing series. And if you are new to the Crossing Church, this is a time of the year when our senior pastor and his lovely wife go on a much-deserved and much-needed sabbatical for the month of July. And so you guys are going to be blessed with some incredible preachers uh, and teachers and ministers over the next several weeks. And I want to encourage you, like, even if you're going on vacation, be sure to be tuning in because these people, the Lord's giving them words for the Crossing Church, and they carry an anointing and a power that's just going to be so needed during this time. It's fantastic. But even beyond that, we want to take a second to honor our senior pastor because what a blessing he is to our community, the burden that he carries for all of us. Um, We're just so blessed by him. If you are blessed, come on, would you help me show some honor to Pastor Randy? I know he's watching online and as much as We love you and we miss you. We really hope that this time away is refreshing and renewing to your heart and your mind and uh, and that we know you'll come back carrying a word of the Lord for us. So uh, enjoy this wonderful break. And so with all of that said, let me get into my message for you guys today. I've titled my message today, Wedding Season. Not just because it is wedding season, uh, but also because the word that the Lord put on my heart for us today is John chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus at the wedding in Cana. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you are doing today. Lord, we thank you that we get to gather together in your house to learn more about you, um, to discover the depths of your heart and your love for us today. So as we're looking at this scripture, even if it's words that we've looked at a hundred times over, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you in a fresh way. Lord, would we encounter you in your word today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, okay, so the wedding at Cana, um, when we are looking at 
miracles of Jesus, this one in particular, this is called the epiphany miracle. And it's the epiphany miracle because it is the first miracle that Jesus does in his entire ministry. It's the first time that it reveals his glory to people. And the reason that we're going to dive really deep into this story today, although that's not kind of typically how I would do a message, what I felt like the Lord put on my heart for us today, you know, when we look at miracles, we tend to look at them in a, in a, in a moral sense. We, we read the stories of Jesus in the gospels and we think, okay, that guy's a bad guy. Jesus is the good guy. Pharisees, bad. Jesus, good. Demons, bad. Jesus, good. And we kind of read this, these stories in like a contrasting way, like they're just a bunch of characters. But that's not really the purpose of the stories that the apostles write in the gospels. And John actually tells us the purpose of why he wrote the stories that he did, even though he says there's so many stories that I could tell you these are, these are just what I've chosen to share. In chapter 20, verse 31, he says, so that you may believe. The purpose is not just for you to have head knowledge about what Jesus did and where he went and who he talked to, who was bad, who was good. It's not just a life lesson or even a leadership lesson. The purpose of these stories is for you to believe. Believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him, you would have eternal life. That's what John tells us the purpose of all of his writings are. And so when we're looking at these stories that look like stories, we want to double click on them. We want to zoom in. We want to we want to expand and look really deep into what's actually happening because what Jesus is doing, he's demonstrating for us what life in his name really looks like. He's demonstrating before our eyes and before the eyes of everybody in the story, how the kingdom of God really is coming near to us. And so that's what we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 2, or if you don't have your Bibles, you are welcome to read on what I lovingly call the Sky Bible behind me. But we're going to start in verse 1, and this is what it says. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what business do you have with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots standing there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing two or three measures each, which would have been 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill these water pots with water. So they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. 
Now, when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and he didn't know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the groom and said, every man serves the good wine first. And when the guests have drunk enough, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This begins, this beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed him. Okay, so let me give you some context because there's a whole lot of stuff we just read in all of that scripture that makes really like no sense to us because we live in 2023. And the way that we do weddings today is completely different than the way that they did weddings in ancient Jewish culture. And so John writes all of these things because he's assuming his audience completely understands how significant of a moment it is. But for us, we don't really understand that. So we're going to we're going to unpack this just a little bit before we dive a little bit deeper. Because in America, The way we do weddings is like maybe, you know, we celebrate with our friends and family for like 36 hours, right? You start with your rehearsal dinner, you do some parties, you do like the next day getting ready for your wedding, and then you've actually got the ceremony, the celebration, and then you're done, right? Like 36 hours, you're good to go. In ancient Jewish culture, I think they knew how to do it. Okay, because their party for a wedding would last at least a week, at least a week's worth of celebration. But I think it's justifiable because here's the thing. A man and a woman would get engaged, what we would call engaged today, okay? And then the guy would have to go off for an unspecified amount of time to build her a home with his own hands, okay? Did any of y'all have to build a home with your own hands, not pay a builder to do it, but build it with your own hands before you got married. And so he couldn't get married till he had built this home and it got the, the check of approval and then he could come back to get married. I think the man deserves a week long celebration for just finishing building an entire house for his wife, right? Like that, that warrants a week long celebration. And so that is what they would, they would just celebrate this union between this man and woman, and they would have so much wine because wine represents generosity and joy of the Lord. It's provision from the Lord, and it represents his joy. And so at the beginning, they would start with the nicest wine, and then over time, they would have to add water to it so that it would just keep stretching and stretching and stretching But the last thing that you wanted to do at your wedding celebration was run out of wine. That was the last thing that you wanted to do because what that meant was that you would be forever known as the marriage celebration that ended in a joyless state. And in an honor and shame culture like ancient Jewish culture, that carried with it a lot of shame. A lot of shame on the parents, a lot of shame on the bride and groom, shame on their children, shame on their children's children. And it would just continue going 
But what we see in this story is that it seems like, based on the head waiter's reaction, when the servants brought him the wine, that they actually weren't aware of the precarious situation that this bride and groom were in. They didn't realize what was happening behind the scenes. They didn't recognize that shame was about to be put on them, that shame was coming up behind them. And this is where we find Jesus in the middle of the story. And so if you're taking notes, this is the first part we're going to zoom in on. And I'm calling it Jesus and the wedding. Jesus and the wedding, because we start with Jesus's mother, Mary. She's here at the wedding and she knows something about this situation and she knows something about Jesus that not everybody knows yet. Mary's actually the first one who's aware that they have run out of wine and she has a choice. She can either say nothing and let shame consume this couple for the rest of their lives or she can take it to Jesus. And so that's what she does. She comes to Jesus with this problem. And I know, again, contextually, in 2023, we really don't like to address women as just woman. My husband says woman when he wants to get a rise out of me just for fun, right? He, you know, he could be in the other room and just yell, woman. It's like, hmm, okay, we don't talk like that in 2023. But here's the thing, remember, and this is, this is just a little nugget for you, an invitation for you. Remember not to interpret ancient Jewish scripture through the lens of 2023. Because we read that and we think Jesus was so disrespectful to Mary. Jesus wouldn't be disrespectful to his mother. So just remember that. Culturally, calling somebody woman was like calling them ma'am. So Jesus turns to his mother and says, ma'am, what matter is this between you and me? And this is a significant part of dialogue in the story. I know we tend to skip over this and we kind of like to get to the action. We like to get to the good stuff. But we see a picture of what Jesus is thinking and what he's doing in this moment because he's talking to his mother in a way that actually distances himself from her. And what we're seeing is Jesus saying, I'm no longer identifying as Mary's son. My identity now is the son of God. Because Jesus has been baptized. Jesus has come back to inaugurate his ministry. And rather than being Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, right? God has spoken over him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And now Jesus's eyes are fixed on his father's business. And Jesus is saying to Mary in this moment, what matter is this between you and me? My hour has not yet come. Because what he's telling Mary 
is something that she doesn't quite understand. Every time Jesus has said, my hour or my, my time, he's not even referring to when he starts doing miracles. He's talking about his crucifixion. And so Mary does not understand what she's asking Jesus. She's coming to Jesus thinking, this is the one who the angel told me he's going to sit on the throne of his father, David. He's going to rule over Jacob's descendants. He's going to have the kingdom that endures forever and ever. And in ancient Jewish culture, they believed that the Messiah was coming to sit on a literal throne in Israel, that they would overthrow Rome's rule on them and they would reestablish Israel as God's chosen and holy people. And so here's Mary coming to Jesus and she's saying, Jesus, can you help alleviate the shame that is bearing down on this bride and groom? She doesn't understand what she's asking because Jesus is saying, I'm not just here to alleviate the shame of this bride and groom who ran out of wine. I'm here to alleviate the shame bearing down on the world. It's not my time because what you're asking me to do is to die. In order for Jesus to alleviate the shame, to lift the shame off of the world, he has to die. And this is where we're at in the story. I heard this fantastic lecture from Tim Keller, who I love talking about this exact passage of scripture. And he asks such insightful questions. And he asked his audience, he said, what do single people think about at weddings? What do single people think about at weddings? Now, it triggered a memory for me because my husband and I, we dated for four years before we got engaged, okay? So there were a lot of weddings that you go to in the span of four years, dating, knowing this person whom you love, you wanna spend the rest of your life with them. And I know it is hard for you to believe. I didn't give him the easiest of times about it, okay? Like I was, you know, four years is a long time. But that's okay, but here's the thing. You, you know you want to spend the rest of your life with this person. And yet, it's not time. And here is Jesus sitting in this wedding, which he who has existed before all time knows that the relationship between a husband and wife is representative of the relationship between Christ and his bride, between God and his people. So he is only thinking about what this marriage represents and Jesus is thinking about his own wedding. Jesus is thinking about what it's going to take for him to receive his bride which is the church. And so here he is standing up at the beginning of his ministry and his eyes are on you. His eyes are on me. He's thinking about what it's going to take to bring us 
back into right standing with our Father so that we can be with him forever. And so I don't think Jesus does what he's about to do because Mary asks him. There's other places in scripture where Mary comes to Jesus and she makes a request of him and he actually says, no, I'm about my father's business. And I think you see the same kind of thing happening here because Jesus in being the son of God does the will of his heavenly father. He goes where he goes because he obeys the will of his father. He says what he says because he obeys the will of his father. He heals who he heals because he obeys the will of his father. And so I think in this moment, Jesus is saying, I'll be obedient, father. And for the joy that you set before me, which is you, you were the joy set before him in this moment. Jesus in obedience by this miracle begins to take his first steps toward the cross. Willingly through this miracle, choosing to begin the journey toward his own death. And that's why I think this is one of the most spectacular Miracles that we see Jesus do beyond the cross and the resurrection. This is, this is a big deal. And if you're taking notes, this is my second point to you. And we're going to look at why this miracle is such a big deal. My second point is just this, Jesus and the miracle. It's not a surprise that there are six stone jars for purification purposes there at the wedding. This was common for Jewish practices. Anytime they would go to eat, they would pour water onto their hands before and after. It was a a physical cleansing, yes, but it was also symbolic of being cleansed from anything that made them unclean or anything that they may have come into contact that would have been considered a, 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 um, uh, oh, let me check my notes to actually figure out the word that I'm trying to think of. Okay, um, a bad influence. That's the word I was trying to think of. That was such a, that was so hard to remember. <laughs> so this water was a symbolic cleansing of any person that they may have brushed up against that would have been considered unclean or coming into contact with anything that would have been considered a bad influence. And they would use stone in this particular sense because stone was impermeable. If there was anything unclean in the water, it would not absorb the uncleanliness. And what we see here, anytime we see something that represents the old way, the old covenant, we should turn our attention to what Jesus is doing in this moment. Because my mind goes to all of the times when Jesus, like stone, he encounters people that are considered unclean. And rather than taking his distance from them, though he could have, though he could have just spoken a word and kept his distance, what do we see Jesus do? We actually see him touch 
the leper. We see him touch the woman with the issue of blood. Instead of keeping his distance and keeping himself clean, he actually draws near. And he exchanges their uncleanliness for his cleanliness. And here we have these stone jars, which are meant to represent physical and spiritual cleansing. But what Jesus is going to show us is that he's demonstrating how the glory of the old covenant is nothing in comparison to the glory that he is bringing. This is what he's demonstrating for us. And he's showing us that the wine that he gives, which represents joy, it is joy in full. It is joy in abundance and it never runs dry. It never runs dry. And so this is what he chooses to do In this miracle, the first thing that he does is he invites servants to participate. Rather than doing it all on his own, which he was fully capable of doing, he actually invites the least of the people in the wedding to become firsthand participants in what he's about to do. And he tells them what to do instead of doing it himself. He says, get these stone jars and fill them with water. And then he says, ladle it out and take it to the head waiter. Jesus never touches the jars. He doesn't fill them supernaturally. He doesn't touch the water and pour it into the cup. He doesn't carry the cup to the head waiter. He invites them into the miracle because he's giving them the opportunity to not just say, I heard one time at a wedding, somebody did this really cool thing. He's giving them the opportunity to say, I saw with my own eyes. I filled the jar with water myself. And somehow when it made its way into the cup, it was not what I put in the jars. He's inviting them to be participants and he still invites us to be participants in the work that he's doing in our world today. He's saying, I don't want you to just sit on the sidelines and say, I heard one time Jesus healed that person. I heard one time Jesus restored that person. I heard one time Jesus set free that person. He's saying, I want you to be a firsthand witness. I want to fill your mouth to say, I didn't just hear, I saw it. I touched it. I experienced it with my own life. He doesn't just do it on his own. He invites us into it, but it's not just for that purpose. Because see, by inviting servants to do the work for him, Jesus is showing that he's not just some sort of uh, magician. Every time I say that, I want to say musician. (laughs) He's not just a magician. He's not just a sorcerer. He's not just some man that can make cool tricks happen. Jesus is actually showing them that he can transform the water without ever having to touch the water. Jesus is turning something ordinary into something extraordinary in this miracle. 
And this is why I think it is one of the most spectacular things that we see Jesus do. Apart from the cross, apart from the resurrection, what we see right here in Jesus's action is a new creation miracle. It is a new creation miracle. And the reason for that is, yes, Jesus is turning water into wine, but where are the grapes? They're nowhere to be found. The elements that you need to make wine are not in the water. They're not there. And so just like you see God at creation speaking through Jesus to turn chaos into order, to turn formless into a form that gives life, you see Jesus speaking to something that has nothing in it and he's transforming it into something that is going to blow everybody's mind. And you actually see a hint toward this in the chapter right before this. In John 1, at the end of chapter 1, Jesus is beginning to call all of his disciples and he calls Simon. And in this exchange with Simon, he sees Simon, which means that he can kind of see through Simon. He knows Simon. He's familiar with Simon. And he says, your name is Simon, which if you know any of the stories in the Bible, you know Simon to be a little, a little much, okay? A little extreme and kind of be all over the place. And what does Jesus say to him? He said, but now you're going to be called Peter. You're going to be called rock. You're going to be called steady. You're going to be called fixed. You're going to be called this thing that you feel is not in you at all. And just like the water where there was nothing in it to make the wine, that doesn't matter to Jesus. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus is doing a new thing. He's doing a new work. He is demonstrating his creative power at work in the water. And this is what Jesus does in our life. He's saying that grace that you need to parent your children in this really hard season, you feel like you don't have it, but that's okay. I'll give it to you. He's saying that hopelessness that is consuming you and you feel like you have no hope in you, that's okay. I'll give you mine. And even unto salvation, he's saying that righteousness that you are striving after, the good works you're trying to do, the good behavior you're trying to do to try and make yourself feel worthy, but there is no righteousness that we could ever do as humans that would live up to the standard that God has, Jesus says, that's okay. I'll give you mine. This is what we see Jesus doing in the middle of this story. 
this new creation miracle. He's not just making something adequate. I love what the head waiter says about the wine because he says, everybody just kind of serves the best up at the front and then everybody just kind of gets what they get, but you saved the best for last. And this just to me is a picture of what Jesus does. He never finishes something halfway. He doesn't halfway transform you. He doesn't halfway save you. He doesn't halfway give you hope or peace or joy or self-control. He doesn't do anything halfway. When he transforms something, he doesn't just make it an adequate version. He restores it back to the way that God intended for it to be. That's what Jesus is doing. And it's the promise that we have that he does that for us. I love the scripture in Revelation 21 because even though we know God is still moving, Jesus is still transforming, we have a hard time sometimes because we don't see the fullness of it yet. It's still in process in our lives. But we have this promise in Revelation 21. Now I'm going to start in verse 3. And this is what it says. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And they will no longer be any death and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, behold, I am making all things new. This is what Jesus is doing. He's doing it today. He's doing it right now in this moment. And in the moments where I have felt the most hopeless, at the moments when I have felt at my lowest, at the moments when I have felt at my weakest, when I have tried my best to do what I know is right to do, but I just feel like I don't have it in me. I remind myself of this verse, behold, I am making all things new. And I know that I can bring my need to the feet of Jesus, who supplies not just adequately, but more than enough for me in my time of need. And so we're going to take communion today because we're going to remember the work that Jesus made possible. We're going to remember the reconciliation that he bought for us, the work that he did so that we could be with him forever. But before we take communion, I'm going to give you the chance to surrender your life to Jesus.
And so if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And I would love for you to just repeat after me, everybody in this room will pray together. We'll say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again on the third day. Today, I surrender my life. I ask you to save me in Jesus' name. I would love to take a moment right here if you would keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed, nobody looking around the room. But if you gave your life to Jesus or if you decided today that you are coming back to Jesus, you feel him drawing your heart once again. I wanna ask you if you would raise your hand boldly all around the room. If you are coming back to Jesus, thank you so much, I see your hands. See your hands, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. You can lift your head. We're gonna take communion in this moment because this is what we get to do, amen? This is not just something that we do because it's important every once in a while to remember, no, this determines our identity. This determines to whom we belong. This is what brought us freedom from sin and shame. So together we're gonna pray and we're gonna remember the work that Christ did for us. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for what this bread represents, Lord. Your body broken for us. Jesus, we remember the thorns on your head. We remember the nails that pierced your hands and your feet, Lord. We remember the stripes on your back, which bring us healing. Jesus, we thank you that even at the beginning of your ministry, that you were thinking about us in the moment, Lord, that you call us your joy, that you gladly endured the cross so that we might be one with you, Lord. We thank you so much that through this work, by bearing the most shameful death, Jesus, you have broken us free from the power of shame and from the power of darkness. Thank you, Jesus, that you left nothing undone. Nothing undone. In Jesus' name, let's take it together. Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was poured out for us. Paul writes in Romans 5 that some maybe would die for a, a righteous person. Somebody might dare to die for a good man, but yet Christ 
died for us while we were yet sinners. Jesus, what great love you have for us. That while we were yet sinners, you gave your life so that we might have life. Thank you that you were our perfect and spotless lamb who paid the price on our behalf so that we might find reconciliation with the Father. Lord, we thank you for this covenant relationship that you established with us, that we might be called children of God, that we might be with you forever. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take it together. Lord, we thank you again for your word, which brings life to our hearts, to our minds, to our souls. Jesus, what an honor it is to discover you in scripture that you give to us so that we might know your heart toward us, Lord, so that we might know you better. And I pray as we go about our week, Lord, in moments where we feel like we do not have enough, where we are struggling, where we feel downtrodden, where we feel hopeless, joyless in such need that we would remember that everything we need is found at the feet of Jesus. Lord, that we are not in this alone. We are not the ones who must transform ourselves before we are found accepted in your sight, but that Jesus, instead, you went ahead of us so that we might find a new creation being done in our own hearts, not by our own works, but by your grace and by your mercy. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in hearts and in lives today. We love and honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Keep up with everything going on at The Crossing by liking us on Facebook, following us on Instagram, or subscribing to our YouTube channel. You can visit us online at www.thecrossing.cc. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.